This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. This show is, in my view, upfront, up close, and memorable. Rub me gently, rub me slowly, take it easy, don't you know that I have never been loved like this? Andy Kim, what a talent, what a career, what a life, what a guy. He has sold more than 30 million albums. Andy Kim is a music legend, a pop icon, and an incredibly private man preferring to live on the outer edges of the limelight. I am thrilled, so honored that he has agreed to let us lift the veil and learn more about the genius behind the mountains of memorable music. Andy Kim joins us now in conversation. Andy, thank you so much for joining me on this show. It is a dream come true for me. Well, you know what? Um, I, I, I've been a fan of yours for as long as I've been uh, coming to Toronto. Um, as a Montrealer, born and raised in Montreal, um, I had come to Toronto every now and then. But um, lately, it's been more often than not. And so um, to just be around you when we were able to be together and now here we are. Thank you so much. Well, it's I'm so glad you said yes to being in conversation. And, and as I mentioned in the introduction, you're very private. We're going to learn more about you. And I know people, you know, they know your music. They love your music. They love you. They just don't know anything about you. And so now's the time to just reveal a little bit. So I want to start at the beginning. At age 12, you had a dream. And, you know, it sounds a little cliche in a way, but it was a vision about what you wanted to become. How did you have that at such a tender young age? And what was that vision at age 12? Well, it's kind of, um, I don't know where to start, but basically, uh the transistor radio changed my world and the transistor radio gave me the opportunity to listen to WABC in New York and WKBW out of Buffalo. And although my brothers had the 45 turntable and they were playing whatever music they liked, I'm the third of four brothers. And so there's always, um, there's always a distance between the first two and then many years later, the next two showed up. But listening to that music and listening to um, an environment that the DJs talked about, about touring, about performing this Saturday on stage, it, it took me out of the... 
I'm gonna, I'll be a little dramatic here. It took me out of the darkness I was living in. Yeah. Whether it was uh, just me in the family that felt that way was immaterial and irrelevant. It was that I somehow reached a vibration that I needed to be a part of. Um, so, you know, dreams are the most important things in my life. Sometimes you dream a song and it's not necessarily a nighttime dream. It's a dream based on a phantom thought. But I didn't have any other way to go. Yeah. So my dreams were basically where I live. You did something about it, though, Andy. Forty bucks you scraped together. You marched your way on a bus to New York City from Montreal. What does the name Jeff Berry mean to you at that time when you you took New York City by storm? Well, I don't know if I took New York City by storm. I think that that uh, that Jeff Barry was iconic in in everything that my brothers had in their room about music, about um, the hit parade, the um, the songwriters, and the Brill Building, and and all of those little nuggets that I would find. Because other than loving school, I loved my transistor radio and where it took me Mm -hmm. more than anything else in the world. And the idea of meeting someone, because every song that I loved um, had the name Jeff Barry, Ellie Greenwich, and Phil Spector. From the first time I heard Be My Baby on the radio, it was just Jeff Barry, Ellie Greenwich, and and Phil Spector. So he was the one I wanted to meet because I didn't know any other person or how to do anything. Jeff Barry made the difference in your life right at the very beginning. He produced and co-wrote your first hit single, How'd We Ever Get This Way? It sold over 800,000 copies. That, to me, sounds like a dream come true. And that, to me, sounds almost impossible. How did you make that happen? Well, I'm, I, I got off the bus at 42nd and 8th and started walking, wondering where the Brill Building was, because I was totally lost. Um, not only in New York, but just to be able to, to actually travel to a different city. And, um, and for me, I've always felt that I could do this. I always felt some form of power because my vision or my dream was such a reality. All I needed to do was show up Hmm. with the goods. Um, so I went to the ninth floor. I found the Brill Building, 1619 Broadway. Um, went to the ninth floor and waited forever to just have five minutes with Jeff. And I had those five minutes that were really three minutes because he was on his way uh, to the studio. 
I played him, how do we ever get this way? I just had a couple of verses. Um, he says, you got to finish uh, the song and then come back to me. And um, he says, because I'm late going to the studio. And I think I uttered the most important words in my life. Can I come with you? Oh, I've never been in a studio before. Wow. And he stared at me and he said, have you had lunch? And I hadn't, but I did, but I said, yes. And he says, well, I usually pick up a sandwich. I only eat half of it. I'll give you the other half. <laughs> so I walked with him to a, to a studio called mirror sound. And, um, he just pointed that I could sit on the couch and, and watch. And I just stayed there for a few minutes and um, got up to leave. And then he saw me through the corner of his eyes and kind of waved me to sit down. I sat down for another couple of minutes because I did not want to be in the way and I had no idea what it was. You know, there was, a, there was a, an engineer and a board and musicians, and it's just, I was out of my league. Yeah. Um, so I left, ran to the Brill Building, got Jeff's uh, phone number and address and all of the things I needed to do, and, and then went back home, realizing that besides my transistor radio, I had met Jeff Barry. Yeah. And maybe that would take me to another place in my dream. And did it? It absolutely changed my world. Even today, even today with whatever success I've had and traveled around the world and all of that stuff, I, I still, I'm still the kid hanging around Jeff Barry learning my craft from him, um, learning to, um, to make my own records, learning so much. Um, and look, he, he named his first daughter after me. So I think he saw something in me that was um, not show business. It was just the third of four brothers growing up in the tenements of Montreal. But you came through for him. He came through for you. As you move through your career, so the first, if I'm not mistaken, your first gold record sold 1.5 million copies, Baby, I Love You. What did that mean to you personally? Well, here's the odd thing. The odd thing is that... Um, I, I live in the moment. I, it's, it's a good thing for me, but it's a bad thing for me. Because living in the moment is just, this is all I have. I've been that way ever since I was a kid. I'm living in this moment. So, um, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting intersection on, on a lot of things. Someone recently told me that May 24th, 1969, Baby, I Love You hit the charts in the U.S. for the first time. And May 24th, 1969, same day, same year, Sugar Sugar was released. 
but did not get played till the middle of July because no one wanted to play it. And here I am touring, doing Baby I Love You and Shoot 'Em Up Baby and, and Rainbow Ride and all the songs that, that became hits. Um, and, and how we ever get this way. And, and knowing that there was a song out there that was going to start getting played and eventually just overpowered everything. So I don't own those moments. I live them and I kind of move on. And so I don't see Andy Kim as anything other than the third or four brothers that grew up in Montreal. Hmm. In time, the spotlight begins to dim for Andy Kim. The music starts to go silent. Rock Me Gently changes all of that. More with Andy Kim when we return. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 105.9 The Region. We're back in conversation with Andy Kim. Andy, you were touring, you were busy, you were selling records like crazy. All of a sudden things changed when you stopped touring the world. What happened? What went wrong? Well, there, the interesting thing is that I didn't re- realize it at the time, but but when you when you live every day to its fullest and don't think about yesterday or tomorrow, um, you kind of lose touch with family and friends. And uh, my dad passed away. And when, um, when he passed away, it kind of changed something deep inside of me that I didn't, um, I didn't, I'm trying to find the word here. I didn't, ever remember having those feelings yeah. and things started to kind of, I've started to see life in a different way. Um, and I knew that, um, one hit record, another hit record was just that I wasn't, I wasn't the music and I wasn't that artist. Mm. I've always been the third of four. Yeah. Rock Me Gently, nobody wanted to produce it. Nobody wanted to release it. What did you do about that? You believed in the song. What did you do about it? Well, there, there is a, there's a great line that, that I heard um, a few weeks ago. And I think that line not only resonated with me, but it is who I am. And um, the line is, what are you doing with your one and only life? Mm. What are you doing with your one and only life? And so I reach back in time and I think about the fact that no one was going to deter what I, what I, the vision that I felt, um, the ups and the downs, immaterial and irrelevant. Do I believe in something and what am I doing about it? It wasn't about someone else 
saying, oh, we can help you. It really was about my personal responsibility to the songs that I wrote and produced. How did that responsibility manifest itself? How did you get Rock Me Gently released? Well, I had just moved from New York to L.A. Uh, One morning over my Turkish coffee, it was 6 a.m., I picked up the guitar and wrote most of the song. Um, I didn't know any musicians in Los Angeles, so I called a musicians union, and great musicians showed up. I played them my song and um, produced Rock Me Gently. And I was so excited about it. I, I just, it was almost like everything that I had learned from Jeff and the Brill Building just kind of collided together. I couldn't have produced, written, recorded anything better for myself. So with, I was armed with my success and my, you know, writing uh, Sugar Sugar and stuff. And so I knew a lot of people. And I went everywhere and everybody in the United States said no, because there is this, um, there is this great perception in the Brill Building that I was told from day one, you're only as good as your last two minutes and 30 seconds, Hmm. which means you have a shelf life. Some, some of them are, immortal artists where they don't have one, but I had a shelf life and I was okay with it. I just needed to continue to live my day as I dreamed about it. So I remember vividly the last person that said no, and I had tears in my eyes and I called my mom God rest her soul and told her, mom, I'm coming home. And she started crying, but she didn't hear the rest. I said, I'm starting my own label. I'm calling it ICE, I-C-E. This is 1974 before that term became ubiquitous. And that I'm going to be my own promotion person. I'm going to put it out. And eventually I will have success in the U.S. So I'll be home for maybe a couple of months. Um, so that's how that started. And I'm not going to say ironically, thankfully, and maybe ironically, Rock Me Gently, once it was released, went straight to number one on the Billboard charts, and it was there for four months. I mean, what does that, how does that sit with you? Nobody wanted to touch it, and it's a huge success, Andy. Well, I remember getting a phone call um, from uh, the record label, it was on a Tuesday, it was like close to one o'clock in the morning saying that Rock Me Gently will be number one in the next billboard. Um, and um, I started crying. You know, it's almost like an athlete who, who 
who runs a race or an athlete who wins a championship, but this is a solo trip. So if you were going to climb Mount Everest and you got there, um, you don't worry about going back down. You just savor the moment. And maybe there is just tears of joy, tears of sorrow, all the kind of tears showed up. Hmm. And then I, I moved on. I moved on. I mean, John Lennon gave me my gold record for Rock Me Gently. It was an accident. Um, I happened to be at Capitol Records with the chairman of the board talking about, you know, touring Europe. And um, the door opens almost by itself. And there is John Lennon unwrapping this thing. I don't even know that he even thought about me at all. But it was just a very genuine moment that I will always remember. Lots of accolades in your career, finally, and recognition by the Canadian music industry. You were inducted into the Canadian Music Industry Hall of Fame. You have a star on Canada's Walk of Fame. You're a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame, inducted into Billboard's Hit Parade Hall of Fame. And Sugar Sugar, that song was inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. So here's something that I read about you. May I read it to you? Are you okay with that? Here it is. Um, if you read it, then it must be true. <laughs> it, it, well, and I'm going to say it to you, Andy Kim. Songwriter, singer, legend, mystery. Has there ever been a more successful musical artist born in Canada that few know about than Andy Kim? You're iconic. You are one of the most talented songwriters, singers, musicians on the planet. And yet you stay out of the limelight. Why is that, Andy? Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just more comfortable um, living each day as it comes, uh, dreaming the dreams I want to dream and silently uh, conquering those dreams. But I'm, I've, you know, I've never pumped my fist uh, in, in a way that said, you know, I, I've, I've done it. I am great. I am this or I am that. I, I, I think I've said this um, enough times in the past few moments. I am and will always be the third of four brothers, born and raised in Montreal. Yeah. And all that other stuff is, is not something that I really did, but something that, that people around the world accepted. And so I don't, I see it as a, as um, a two way street. I've written some songs that I thought were just exactly what I needed to say that never went anywhere. But that's not the issue. The issue is who are you and what are you doing with your life? So I'm, I'm living a private life. Um, in a public arena, and I'm happy. I think I was born happy. You know, there's a wonderful saying, I think it's a Buddhist saying, born round, do not die square. And, and, and the converse is true, born square, do not die round. It's, it's not a judgment on that, it's just, you are who you are. So having a hit record never made me, um, anything other than 
um, satisfied with that moment. Yes, the applause were great. The money is incredible. Um, but it's what are you doing with your life? And so I, um, I prefer, uh, I prefer the quiet of my life. And having said that, on December the 8th, the Andy Kim Christmas special at Massey Hall in support of a very worthy cause, an aspect of CAMH, Gifts of Life, these concerts, it is it flies in the face of what you've just said. So you're back on stage, you're back in the spotlight, you're, you're back performing, but it's for a different purpose, perhaps. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of what I've always done. When I had my hits and I was touring, I used to go to orphanages or hospitals that with a guitar, if anyone would, you know, it usually was a lot of kids around. Um, when I, um, I thought of uh, doing this Andy Kim Christmas, um, it's, it's, it was always part of a community. And I always think about um, my mom uh, holding my hand and, and on the other hand, she was holding kid brother as we went to Jean Talon Market to pick out the perfect Christmas tree. And then climbing five, you know, flights of stairs to where we lived. And so um, nobody gets paid. I call artists. It's not just me. It's, it's the community of artists, you know, from Alex Lifeson to Broken Social Scene to Ron Setsmith to Kim Mitchell to um, so many, so many artists that, that said yes to come and help me raise money for our community. And, um, you know, the, this past couple of years has really taught us a lot, a lot about kind of really what mental health is. And um, I'm just honored that this is uh, something deep down inside that, that I, um, I'm a part of. I'm so proud of you, and I'm so excited about Wednesday, December the 8th at Massey Hall in person, which is so great for all of us. The Andy Kim Christmas special in support of CAMH, Gifts of Life. People can go to your website to find out more and can purchase tickets at for this at Massey Hall as soon as they become available. I got to say this to you, Andy Kim, the third of four. You are the best of the best, the most private of all. Thank you for your music. Andy, thank you for your memories. And thank you for these moments in conversation. Well, you know how I feel about you. I, I'm, as, as we're talking, part of my brain was saying I should, I should do a podcast and mm -hmm. ask you all these wonderful questions about the life that you have lived. Mm -hmm. And... Um, because we don't live this alone. And so having been a huge fan, um, you know, it's just your times on, on, on communicating with all of us through television and through your work. So, um, so thank you for taking the time to be with me. Oh, you're such a gentleman. Thank you so much, Andy Kim, for everything. Oh, Bye.
follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.